Every Sunday we confess our sins. It's only appropriate that we do so because none of us come on a given Sunday morning and say, well, I don't need that. I'll just pluck my ears. I'll just look at my phone. And then when you're done with the assurance of pardon, I will continue. Uh, we are sinners. We stay sinners by nature. And it is only by the Holy Spirit that the Lord directs our being, our faculties, our emotions, our will, our desires, our ambition into a godly direction. But as the answers make clear, we continue to fight, struggle, battle with the presence of sin. Now, sin is not uh, a spirit. Uh, sin is a reality um, that um, explains the appropriateness of why we confess our sins. In your own home, in your own private prayer, you do that, but also as a congregation. Uh, sin is uh, something that has entered into a good world that God originally made, and it is by the sinfulness, the sinful action of Adam and Eve that uh, explains why the world is what it is today. And so sin is always, biblically speaking, something that is against God's commandment. It breaks fellowship with God. It creates enmity with God. We call that alienation sometimes, uh, so that uh, there is no longer shalom of any perfection anywhere. Sometimes it approaches that when we have the sweet fellowship that we have. Yeah, that's a sense of eschatological, we call that future perfection, consummation, um, shalom. But for now, it is uh, marred. Um, it is far from perfect. But it's there in Christ Jesus. And that's, of course, the hope and the light of the gospel that we present into a dark world, that we have shalom to offer. There's the promise that someday, when you join us, folks outside, and you become a repentant sinner and you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you join the group of shalom because we are on our way to the ultimate shalom. Uh, and that's when we are experiencing what Ed probably now experiences, that there's no more struggle with the flesh, the devil, and the world. It's over. That battle is done. No more repentance needed because we are in the presence of the Lord forever because of his will and his purpose accomplished uh, by his power and his enabling. And it's not the result of what we have chosen of um, or, or what we have accomplished uh, in terms of uh, the response to the gospel. And so that, that is a sentiment that is not just ours today to express and propagate and advocate, but that is the discussion that these men there way back then had amongst themselves. How are we going to respond to these other Christians who are telling us that there is no such thing as the perseverance of the saints as a work of God, it's a work of man. But how do we respond to that biblically? Uh, and so uh, that's what you then uh, see in these articles, four and five, just the two of them today. But it goes on uh, to deal in uh, six, for example, God does not permit the destruction of that relationship. So it's very God-centered always, the Dort's response to the critics. It's God who does not permit the destruction of that relationship, article six. God renews a disturbed relationship. God is in the business of renewal, renewing us into Christ's image in us. Um, and man is weak, but God is steadfast. 
So that's the beauty, I think, of uh, one of the beauties of the, the way Dort responded to the challenge of Arminianism, of re the remonstrance. is always such with God and what he has done and will do because it is always his will that is paramount to anything that we will. Uh, because we do will things, right? We do, uh, we, we will to serve the Lord. Uh, God doesn't bypass our will, but he makes our will subservient to him. So that the, our will becomes a servant to the greater glorious cause of God's kingdom in this world until we reach the next. And so having read the, the, the both articles, uh, I'll just say a few things then uh, about that. Um, certainly there is a tension, um, and I think that the, the tension is between the sovereignty of God that explains the perseverance ultimately, but also the call of the gospel that comes to us as a challenge. Do this and you shall live, shall we say, or these are my commandments, uh, obey my commandments, Jesus said, and by your obedience you will show that you love me. And so the Bible does teach that we have a human responsibility God holds us very much, the Dort holds us very much responsible. We are responsible people, even after the fall. And having been regenerate by the Holy Spirit, we now have wills that have been liberated toward God, towards his kingdom. And even so, struggle, because the nature is still with us. And the nature challenges that, that new disposition that we have, that new desire for God. Um, the world, um, a sinful weakness, and the devil are um, formidable enemies in this regard. And so when the Armenians, the Remonstrants, bring up Peter and, and um, uh, David and Peter as an example of uh, making their point, um, the Dort can just as much say that appealing to these two individuals in the history of the Bible uh, serves their point. What does it illustrate? That these men of God, who were true believers, were capable of very great and gross sin. Um, and it is only by the grace of God that they repented. And that's how the, Armen the, the fathers of Dort then would respond to that ch charge and say, yeah, but those people did repent. And what the Synod of Dort is saying that those who fall away, and, 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 and we observe that, right? We, we observe. Um, I just saw something on the internet the other day that there is a group of, the, there's a group of people who were religious, they were pastors, and they've sort of banded together, and they have now something that's called post-faith. Um, and so uh, we, we know from experience that there have been people who confessed faith in Christ and then fell away. The Armenians are making that their proof. See, it is by free will that a person perseveres. It is by your choice that you persevere and then you know, receive the eternal reward. But the Armini the, the, Remons the uh, Dort, sorry about that, the Dort uh, representatives are saying that those people weren't Christians in the first place. Because if the Holy Spirit takes hold of a sinner and changes the heart, by faith united with Christ, which is a permanent union. It doesn't get interrupted by my sin. Jesus saved me and sealed me 
by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm his forever. And as a Christian, I live in this world and my sinful nature bothers me and interrupts that relationship with God. Uh, it does all those things that Article 5 mentions. Um, but nevertheless, it's not by my choice, but by God's persevering love and faithfulness that he preserves me so that if I were guilty of something gross like that, something serious like that, disturbing like that, of Peter and David and people we know in, in the history of the church, maybe in your own family for that matter. I've had discussions with, 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 with upset brothers and sisters who uh, tell me somewhere else, don't think about local at all, but in my pre in, in, from experience I can tell you that they came to me and they said, in my church the elders do not take care of sexual immorality uh, by way of incest and that kind of stuff. And so, so, so sin is present, and sin needs to be addressed, and sin needs to be dealt with biblically, because we accept the fact that sin is still a reality, but it is for the Christian a conquered reality, and if you are a Christian in Christ, you will come to that point where you see, like David, your sins, and you repent, and you receive the forgiveness, and you receive the Holy Spirit's cleansing, and the, the renewal that comes when you say, to someone yourself, uh, you know, you have a, a situation that you've had maybe with another person and, and you were wrong and you said, I'm sorry, and uh, you embrace and you love and you, what have you, you, you know that there's restoration. Um, in the nth degree, we experience that with the Holy Spirit when we confess our sins, and we're serious about that, not just perfunctorily, I hope, but serious, genuinely repent of our sins to God and receive the cleansing, the restoration of fellowship with the Lord. Uh, that's a, a beautiful thing. And that's what David talks about in Psalm 32, 51 as well, um, very uh, beautifully, um, how uh, he waited, and it, his bones were drying up, as it were, burning, because there was this barrier between him and fellowship with God. And until he repented, it was that way, and when he repented, it was restored. Uh, that is really the example of a born-again person uh, that proves the point and is consistent with the belief that uh, election is by the sovereign grace of God alone. God takes care of us while we walk the walk of faith and experience all the things that uh, we encounter as followers of Christ but he is the one who allows us, the, the canons uh, suggest, um, God permits us to fall and stumble. Um, God does not just sort of magically uh, keep all the sins away from us. Um, you know, we see with our eyes what we've seen this past week, what we have heard with our ears. Uh, God has allowed us to be foolish and stupid and to keep looking at stuff we shouldn't be looking at. No, God does not just sort of magically interrupt the, the, the screen and it uh, goes blank, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, so we are responsible human beings as Christians, and we're called to then respond to God's teaching, God's law, God's word, where God says, love me above all and serve no other gods and love your neighbor as yourself. That by itself is plenty of homework 
And, um, and God then, using the means of grace, strengthens us. That's why we had communion, because we're not so big and brave and bold and strong, but we are weak in and of ourselves. And when we use the means of grace, when we come faithfully on the Lord's day to the Lord's house, when we break bread together, when we fellowship with one another, we experience the grace of God in such a beautiful way that it encourages us to not give up, but to continue to persevere. Because what is the alternative? Is there an alternative to the Christian life? Tell me. But I really don't think so. And I don't want to hear about it either if you have a suggestion like that. Because the only way is Christ's way. The only way is to take up your cross daily. Suffer. That includes self-denial. But it is love at the same time. Love for God because of what he did for you. And so let's take sin seriously. In your life, in my life, in the church's life and existence, let's not just, uh, you know, uh, cover. Uh, the, the text talks about, you know, love covers a multitude of sin, but it doesn't mean love that is indifferent to sin. Uh, love may mean confrontation. It may mean that, uh, you know, you have a fellow brother or sister who knows about something that in light of God's word is just absolutely wrong and give thanks to the Lord for that person who humbles themselves and says, Lord, help me with this and comes to you in your moment when you need that counsel, that exhortation, that rebuke. Praise the Lord for those, those persons so that the fellowship in the church body continues to be healthy and not toxic. Sin is toxicity, isn't it? My brother Ed, they turned off the dialysis last night when we were there, well, after we left. And so when the dialysis stops, the toxins of the body are not flushed out anymore, right? And so you slowly uh, are poisoned. And if we do that with our lives, personally, in our marriages, in our families, um, in the church family, when we don't take sin seriously, it's like stopping the dialysis and allowing our body life to become contaminated to the point that it causes real trouble, real dysfunctionality, disabling of the body life. And we see that, of course, so briefly, tersely stated in Article 5. I just mentioned those things uh, to you just by listing them again. Uh, the first thing that the effect of sin has on us personally and on the body of Christ is that it offends our God. The Latin is very clear there. That was the original language in which this thing was written and then translated in the modern languages. And um, the appropriate translation is that it offends God. Sin offends God. Um, God takes that seriously. When we allow sin in our lives, um, when he has taught us, warned us in his word to be aware of sin in our lives, to nevertheless sin, we offend a holy God. And the next one is related to that. Sin deserves eternal judgment. And of course, the focus is on David and Peter with their big sins, right? And it almost gives you a sense that all the other sins are not so big. 
But Jesus died for all my sins. I should have been condemned to eternal damnation for one sin. He gave his life for me for one sin, if that were true, which it isn't. But And so our sin offends God. It, it deserves punishment and death through death eternal. It grieves the Holy Spirit. When we allow sin in our lives, when we allow sin in the corporate body of uh, the, the church, the Holy Spirit is grieved. You have a coldness that comes about. The, the temperature, as it were, goes down. It gets colder. People are less friendly. People care less about each other, become more individualistic. Um, and, and so the body life that is uh, taught us in God's word is compromised when the Holy Spirit is grieved. Uh, the suspension of the practice of our faith. When sin is not nipped in the bud, when it is not removed, uh, repented of, then it will, in one way or another, to one degree or another, impede the practice of our faith. We will be less faithful, if you want to call it that. We will be less faith-focused. Uh, our lives will be more focused on other things. And so uh, our witness is at stake uh, there. And the wounding of our conscience, because that's the beauty of being born again. The Holy Spirit is in you. And so the Holy Spirit loves you like a husband loves his wife, like a father loves his children. Um, love is a beautiful thing, but it can be hurt. It can be interrupted. It can be broken even so that it needs healing and repair. Our, our conscience also can be wounded when we do not follow the proper advice that Scripture gives us and that the, the um, canons of Dort here echo so, uh, so eloquently, I would say. Uh, and then lastly, it mentions losing the awareness of God's grace for a time. Losing God's awareness for a time, and then it says until. It's the beautiful word of uh, relief, I would say. Uh, until. Because this is why you are different from the world. You don't live like an unregenerate person does. Have no care about God's holiness, a wounded conscience, an ineffective witness to the world. Um, you, you just you live as you do, unregenerate. But if you are regenerate, you sin, certainly. And David sinned horribly. But the Holy Spirit inclines the heart to come back and say, I repent and I wish to be restored in fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. And so there's always in the true believer the until, until they have returned to the way by genuine repentance, God's fatherly face again shines upon them. But we can lose that awareness for a time when we are living in um, unbelief and rebellion against the Lord. So, yes, we are called to persevere. God perseveres more than we do, you could say. We persevere because God perseveres in his faithfulness to us. 
And so you have the promise that when we rely on God's grace, then the Holy Spirit enables us to keep the faith, to keep the focus of your life on Jesus, and to aspire towards his perfection, which will not come in this world, but it will come someday. And all because of God's sovereign grace and mercy and faithfulness to you, the believer in Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teaching about you. More than anything, this is a teaching about your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace in Christ Jesus, and how you work out your plan of perfect, perfect salvation uh, in and through our lives, which at times um, and sometimes uh, can be rather dubious. And we confess that, Lord, uh, and we ask Holy Spirit have mercy on us and be patient and continue to be patient with us because as your people, we aspire towards uh, the new Jerusalem, Lord, because you have given us that foretaste through the Holy Spirit. You've opened our eyes. You've opened our understanding, and we have been translated from darkness into light, and we know now much better what darkness really is and what it leads to. And so as children of the light, we aspire to be with you always in fellowship with you, Keep us from sin and temptation this week. Holy Spirit, be the guard around our eyes, our ears, our mind, our heart, so that we may be pure in your sight and that we may preserve that purity that we have in Christ Jesus by way of our words and our actions. Uh, Lord, we pray, will you watch over not only ourselves but our church family at large uh, throughout the world, our personal loved ones and families as well, we pray that all would know you and that all would follow you. And so let your redeeming grace also impact their lives who have yet to be born again and have to be enjoined with the body of Christ. Father, we pray, bring many to yourself yet until the day has come when you bring about your perfection in uh, our lives uh, as we stand face to face in your presence and live in your presence forever in the world to come. Heavenly Father, give us a greater desire for that world, and may that be reflected this week in how we live our lives. We ask you this in Jesus' name, amen.